0: The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon and
1: welcome to this week's live broadcast of Women to Watch on WWDB AM 860. Today is November 2nd, 2015, and I'm thrilled to be interviewing Jody, Judy Robinette, sorry, the author of How to Be a Power Connector, the 550-150 Rule. I am Dr. Beth Dupree, breast cancer surgeon and vice president of Holy Redeemer Health System, I'm also serving as medical director of the integrative medicine program here at the hospital. And uh, during this next hour, we would love to take your live calls at 888-329-3306. Again, 888-329-3306. I'd like to thank Holy Redeemer, who's our core sponsor for the show. And I'd also like to put a shout-out to Sue Rocco, who is the actual host of this show. But she was invited to Washington, D.C., for a phenomenal meeting this morning. I I haven't had any details from her yet. But she was invited to um, someplace in Washington to work with some of the women from the group Elevate. And I think it was one of those opportunities, which uh, I think Judy's going to be able to kind of enlighten me about that you just don't say no to certain opportunities. So anyway, um, without further ado, I'd like to welcome Judy to the show.
2: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
1: No no jet lag today, huh?
2: No, no jet lag today. I'm home from London and Dublin, sitting Uh, here looking out at the mountains with white on the top.
1: Oh, I'm heading to London for the weekend for a, um, to do an uh, advisory panel for a startup company. So I'll be uh, next Monday. Hopefully I'm not going to be jet lagged because I will have slept on the plane, but that's always my hope when I'm traveling. So it is so nice to have you on the show. I know Sue is going to try to call in. She was finishing up in Washington, and she's going to be somewhere in between Washington, D.C. and Philadelphia. But she was so excited <laughs> about ha- having you on the show, and I told her that after having researched you... I think I think that you and I could probably find about 20 hours worth of things to talk about, um, and that yeah. it, it was not going to be an issue. So, Judy, it is so nice to talk to you, and I, uh, you know, one of the things that when I was flipping through the, um, the Internet, learning about you, I saw you holding up a uh, copy of Moore Magazine, and I was featured in More Magazine years ago, and I love... Um, Leslie Jane Seymour, she is an absolute doll, and it's one of my ah. favorite magazines. So, what were you doing holding up more magazine? I'm just going to start with that question because I I didn't want to forget, I didn't want to re- you know I, I wanted to remember to find out what that connection is. Well, I'm good friends with
2: Leslie, and in particular her boss, um, Janine Shaw Collins, vice president of Meredith Publishing, and I had arranged for roma danny to be interviewed by more uh roma and her husband mark burnett are redoing ben hur in 2016 and it occurred to me it would be uh good to put them together and um, i did that for a lunch meeting and then later I was called uh by janine who said thank you thank you for all your help and oh by the way would you like to come to a private event that we're giving an award to uh first lady michelle obama and so well, I was awesome. really pleased to go to that event. There were about a hundred of us, and just had a
1: great time. Wow, pretty special. I uh, I love my connections with *Moore* magazine. I actually went to *Miraval* with my sisters, and it's now ten years ago because it was when I turned 40. No, 14 years ago. My God, what am I talking about? Um, <laughs> I. Uh, I'm anti-aging myself, but we went to Miraval, and while we were there, I guess it was the second or third year we went, I had met their um, publisher who ended up being my neighbor, like a mile from my house, which, go figure, I have to go to Tucson, Arizona to meet my neighbor, but uh, it's all about the connections that we make, and I was thinking about you this weekend because um, I was flying from... San Diego from an integrative medicine conference which was just phenomenal and made some amazing connections there and uh, on both of my flights I had to take a a little puddle jumper to LA and another puddle jumper from LA to San Jose and um, I always talk to the people on the plane as I've been reading about uh, you and what you do you know my husband's like who'd you pick up on this trip like who is the person that that you met that's going to become some person in our life somehow and I said well you've got to meet people you can't be afraid to put yourself out there and people stories are so amazing, and you never know what those connections are going to hold.
2: Absolutely. So research shows we only talk to strangers 2 to 3% of the time, and half of us identify as shy, which is really, really sad, uh, because if you think about when you've been most successful in life, you know, certainly hard work is right up there, but number two is uh, lucky breaks and uh, synchronicity, and that usually comes from strangers.
1: And I I love Synchronicity. I'm a big fan of it and write about it in my own book. But um, what's interesting is I heard a rumor that you were an introvert in the very beginning (laughs) of your uh, life. And how do you go from being an introvert to the power connector? Because I guess you have to tell me about how how did it all start? Idaho, is that like middle of nowhere? Yeah, yeah.
2: It's where I'm I'm, uh, sitting right now. So if you saw the movie Napoleon Dynamite, I went to that high school. Uh, oh just, gosh. you know, three, 300 people in Franklin, Idaho. My dad retired from the military and moved here. It had been my mom's hometown, town. And I was so shy. I didn't really kind of fit in. And, um, and then I was bullied in junior high. So I, I didn't really dare talk to many people. And, you know, I knew no one of wealth, money, influence, power. And, uh, when I hit the corporate world, I had been taught, and research shows if you're raised lower to middle class, you're kind of taught, keep your head down, work hard, don't ask for help. And someone will notice. Well, I found out in the corporate world, very few people noticed. <laughs> and yeah. I, I looked around and I went, why are people getting further ahead? They're making more money. They've got more money. They're not appearing to work harder or smarter. And I found out, you know, be, behind the regular org chart is this very well-connected political group of people. And you'd better be in the network if you're going to get ahead. And um, so, of course, I was too shy to ask for help, but I picked up How to Win Friends and invite people and I started ah. smiling, saying hello, shaking hands and I'll be darned, I found out people liked me. It was really a shock. Um, and I think most of us think we're shy because we lack self worth or self confidence. And it's certainly, you know, more pronounced when we're younger but, you know, I just tell people you have got to take a step out of your comfort zone. Um, otherwise, you can, you can never get very far without other people. Other people have the deals, the opportunities, the jobs, the money. Um, and, you know, you, you can create luck by how you position yourself in that synchronicity. Did you have sisters? So, yeah, I did up? start out really shy. Uh, and now I'm to the point, i got to tell you, I'll even interrupt people in Starbucks if I think I can help them. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody's it. been rude with me or anything. I, I mean, truly, I believe in being generous and and helping. And, you know, what comes around goes around is one of my... Uh, mottos. Just a, a quick story. I was in Barnes Noble when I was writing after I'd written my book and relaxing and having my hot chocolate. And there were two guys behind me talking about their startups. And they've done everything right. They've pivoted to get to revenues that were positive. Um, and but then they started talking about investing uh, or finding investors. And and they had it all wrong. And I turned around and I said, "Excuse me, I'm an investor. I sit on a venture capital boards. Could I just share some information with you, if you're?" minutes, and they said, sit down. Um, I ended up talking to him for 40 minutes, helping him with their strategic roadmap to funding, and at the end, this one guy said to me, well, what are you doing here? And I said, oh, I wrote a book here, and he said, tell me about it. And I told him, and he said, you know, I'm in the uh, marketing department at Overstock. Our audience would probably really like to hear about your book. We could put it on our website, and we get 15 million hits a month. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and there's one of those synchronicities. When I called mcgraw Hill. they're like, how did you do that? And and it's the kindness of strangers. I mean, part of it is what being is? kind, adding value to people. And, yes, it does create reciprocity. But but I'm telling you, when you meet strangers, research shows the first thing you look for is do they have a level of warmth. You know, we but don't do want you? sociopaths or the narcissistic right. people.
1: Uh, and you then you lead? look for a level you- of confidence. Do you believe that like attracts like? Do you believe that when you're putting out a positive vibe or, you know, when you are exuding that positive energy that you're going to attract the same back to you?
2: You know, it does, uh, and it does happen, and I would have been one of those skeptical people of all the woo-woo stuff uh, with that kind of stuff, but I found out it's it's very true that if you're kind and and gracious, um, people will go out of their way to help you.
1: What did you uh, What did you study in school?
2: You know, my undergraduate is psychology, and my master's is in economics. And oh, so uh, perfect, I ran a biotech company. Yeah, I ran a biotech company for about nine years. I was public CEO and uh, had an AIDS compound, aromatase inhibitor for breast cancer. You would appreciate that. Which, which? Um, and. You know, I'll have to look it up for you. It's been a few years ago. It's now in clinical studies out of uh, Vienna, and it's a topical nice. application. I acquired oh, it wow. out of uh, University of Freiburg, and it's in clinical trials. It'll, it'll be life-changing. No liver damage, yes, a- so...
1: Oh, I love that. I saw your. I saw that you were a CEO of the publicly traded medical discoveries. And I, you know, obviously being in medicine, I, I'm always in awe of individuals who begin companies based on how do I solve this problem. And that's that's one of the things that people don't, you know. But I was telling them, if you want to start a company, you've got to, if you find a problem that you can fix, then you've got a company because it's yeah. looking for those answers. And as a surgeon, I'm constantly looking for the answers. And so, you know, I have yeah. two sons that are both engineers, and it's the same thing. I said, you need to solve a problem. When you can solve a problem that needs to be solved, you've got a company.
2: Yeah, so there's only two reasons a startup fails. The first is lack of a customer and the second is lack of funding. And actually I went all, all over the world giving speeches at bio, the big bio conferences on how to get your your funding uh, because it, it just hurt my soul that I would meet, you know, doctors and surgeons, people who had arguably a cure for something and they could not connect the dots to the funding. And, and that's why I wrote this book. Actually it was going to be How to Get Funded and I put in my proposal to my agent, 50 people I'd interview, Reuben Abraham, I'd met in India that raises George Soros funds and several billionaires. And she called me and she said, Judy, I thought you only lived in Utah and Idaho. And I said, yes. She said, oh, you must have gone to Harvard or Stanford. I said, oh, no. And she said, how do you know these people? And I told her, she goes, hold the presses. We're going to do a book on networking. And I said, no, we're not. I hate the word. I think it's a manipulative, icky and she said, trust me, we'll come up with a different world. And I didn't think the book would sell. Uh, we got offers from five publishers in, in less than a week. And so, you know, good. my whole goal is to teach people everything you need in the world is out there. There's 7.5 billion people, 369 trillion in private global wealth, countless opportunities. So you know, and it's all attached to people, and you've you've got to wow. connect the dots. And most people make the mistake if if I say to them, you know, if you put yourself on a piece of paper just as an X and draw a circle, the first one is your close friends and family. But name the next twenty-five to fifty people, and let's see how many of them are just like you. And so doctors tend to, you know, don't doctors and accountants. And you know, the problem is, as soon as you need to switch careers or career advancement or find the funding, you have you're In trouble because your network can't deliver the resources that you need.
1: Well, it was pretty. So anyway,
2: that's a a little bit about um, probably too long-winded, but
1: (laughs) no. But it's it's you and I all have to talk
2: offline too.
1: I I know. Well, what's what's interesting? People always say, like, how do I how did I get to where I am? Because I came from middle class. My father graduated from high school my mom only finished eighth grade and they did celebrate their 65th wedding anniversary this weekend so um i I came from i came from good stock but we did not come from a family where a college education was we were first generation and so you know my, my father my father started his own business as a cement contractor and he actually did it because you know he couldn't really raise seven kids on a police officer salary but I watched my dad in business, you know, and he didn't—he didn't, he didn't uh, create um, his his uh, future savings just from being a cement contractor. It was, you know, buying apartments and fixing them up and renting them and finding other ways for him to be successful. And it was really, so many of the times, it was it was who he's connected to, who he met, who he had a relationship with. And I've been, you know, that's kind of been my MO through life, and uh, and I've um, in, in healthcare, I'm considered what we can call an early adopter. Where if I see a technology that truly enhances um, a patient's experience, or if it enhances the the a surgical procedure, um, I'm very quick to give it a go because. You know, that's you're either I, I like to be on the crest of the wave, so to speak, but you meet so many amazing people along the way and um, I wanna know what the five fifty one fifty rule is because anyone that's gonna pick up your book is gonna say, Okay, give me the cliff notes. Let me know what is this five fifty one fifty rule. Okay.
2: So 150 is Dunford's Law, and it says that groups fall apart at 150. Even Roman armies only were grouped in groups of 150. So you see these people that they're madly at networking groups, gathering business cards that go in a drawer, um, and, and you can't really manage more than 150 people. So that's kind of the outer limit, even though Pew Research shows we know on average 632 people. Uh, I had a guy call me and he bragged he had a Google Doc with 40,000 people in the database that he sent out Christmas cards. And I'm like, dude, how many of those people have ever helped you? And, of course, it was less than 10. And so the outer limit I put at 150. That five number was the number I mentioned before, five to 15 are your close friends and family. That 50 is a sweet spot for me. If you have 25 to 50 solid quality relationships, You can get anything you need. You can get anywhere you need to go. And, um, you know, there was a study that was done by a top wealth guru who works with private offices. His name's Alan Prince. And he was trying to help lawyers figure out how to acquire customers. And he found out, yes, the number one way, just like doctors and almost everybody else, that's professionals is by a referral. But if you got a referral from a center of influence, that referral was worth 2 million whereas a regular referral was worth 100,000 so 21x wow so it is important okay. to have quality relationships, and they need to be diverse. Um, you know, I tell people robust. They'll do a, a favor for you. We all need favors. As long as you're alive, you've got problems. doesn't matter if you're a billionaire, millionaire, whatever. Everybody needs help. And then have it deep with people with gravitas and leadership, and then certainly wide, which is across different industries. You know, I can pick up the phone. I'm Mark Burnett endorse my book. I'm going to be flying to LA to meet Oprah's producer. So when you have diversity, whether it's in entertainment and media and you know medicine, it's amazing what you can get done. And that's what I love to do. I love to make things happen. And you can do that very easily with 25 to 50 people.
1: So let's say when you were 21, you didn't say, hey, I'm going to be Judy Robinette and I'm going to write this book, The Power Connector, and I'm going, to make my, I'm going to make my living in the future off of being a connector. When you were in your early 20s, what did you think you were going to be doing or what was, your, what was kind of on your vision board for life?
2: You know, I was a social worker. I was going to save the world. (laughs) Um, And I found out the world didn't want to be saved. And um, I I really thought I'd I'd die if I saw another three-year-old raped or beat. Um, And so I went back to graduate school. But my whole thing has always been helping people, and I love solving problems. I've always loved a challenge. And when I got a little older, I figured out nothing happens without money. Um, and yeah. you know i 'd been taught get a job, work hard, do all of that stuff, um, and uh, I was introduced to the founder of Skull Candy when he was broke. Um, I helped with that early stage funding, you know. Even though he'd been bankrupt a couple of times and people said he'd never been be successful, he went public a couple of years ago, and you know bought his 24 million dollar home. And so I became very enamored with the startup world because that's where the most uh, wealth, the the most value is created. On average, it's 27.3 percent annually has been forever. And you know now we're in this perfect storm. It's shows like Shark Tank that are educating people. I have teenagers that can come up to me and talk about evaluation, plus Web 3.0, plus crowdfunding that's uh, really changed with what you see happening in capital markets. And I think we're going to see stuff we have never seen before, particularly women and minorities starting businesses successfully. And so I'm just having the time of my life.
1: Well, it's 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 crazy when you think about what we do now. I mean, if somebody had told you 20 years ago that you would have your, you know, when I was in college, we had one phone in the dorms on the wall, yeah, and you had you had to call home, you had to call home collect. I mean, to talk to my kids about this is they look at me like seriously, and I'm like now I can be on my phone. And I can order a sweater from Ireland in a push of a button. And it's at my house the next, you know what I mean? The the, the yeah. technology that we have, I think it's hard for our, our, my, my children at least to understand what we didn't have before and how different our life experiences are. Like I found out this weekend through Facebook that my son was in Las Vegas, which is really funny because... Yeah. I had no idea, and my sister was like, "Yeah, Tommy's in Las Vegas," and I'm like, "Seriously?" Because last minute he got a flight. His girlfriend works in in uh, in uh, NASCAR racing. She works for a company called Motec, so she was going out there to work. He had a, he got a cheap flight, and you know, I find out through Facebook that my child's in Las Vegas. I'm like, "Please, what are you there for? Are you just there for the race?" Because they've been going to all their friends' weddings lately. So I'm I was thinking, "Oh my God," you know, going to the, going to Vegas. But uh, he just they just went there to. Uh, to go to the race and see rev and everything. But uh, the technology that's coming out now, I, I can't even imagine yeah. what's next. I mean, I, I don't have an iWatch. What's it called? Is it called the iWatch or the Apple Watch, whatever yeah. it is? But I have so many friends who are so hooked on their watch now. And, yeah. you know, that's the, it's going from, you know, the iPad was a big deal and then the iPhones and now the iWatches and, like, what's next? Are we going to have a little microchip and, and, you know, have something pop up in front of our cornea so we can search the Internet by thinking about it, you know?
2: Well, it's, it's fascinating. I mean, now you can you know swab your cheek, send some DNA in. They can tell you uh, all kinds of biometrics. I, I mean, it, it turns out I just read an interview with Tim Cook from Wall Street Journal a couple of days ago, and he said the thing that people love so much about the watch is the fitness and health metrics. It actually gives you a reminder you've been sitting too long. And I've got a Fitbit. And, and I'm, I'm really aware, you know, that I'm not going to be making my 10,000 steps if I'm sitting in front of my computer for three hours straight. <laughs> and oh, and I know. so I, I think was... the ability to help your health, um, you know, one of my friends has created a, an app that you can look through the key critical people in your uh, network, and their picture comes up and it says, 30, 60, 90-day contact, would you like to email, text, or phone them? And and it sends you reminders, so you can always stay in contact with those key people.
1: Wow. I like it.
2: I I mean, it is amazing.
1: it's, uh, it's interesting because the older I get, the more I need those little reminders. And everybody says, yeah. it's because you do so many things. I said, well, I do a lot of things because I can. I, I enjoy it. I mean, I, 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 do have to give a shout out. I had the best, my OR staff today busted their rear ends to get me done and, um, completed because originally I had, I had a very, very, um, I had a very busy schedule in the OR today. I started at 730 and did five big cases. And, uh, when Sue got this call to go to Washington, um, and I was like, oh my gosh, i got to be off for the show. So I just, I said to my staff, I said, listen guys, I just need everybody to hustle in between cases. And um, they usually hustle very much. Today, it was like, it was a finely oiled machine. Every single person was kind of on it. And I actually was finished in the hour at 225, so I had time for a cup of coffee. I was blown away. I was like, I was expecting to walk upstairs to the, uh, we actually have a little radio studio in the hospital. So I was expecting to walk up to the steps of Holy Redeemer and just pop on the, on the call with you. But I actually had a few minutes to relax. It was really nice. Nice. So, Judy, what I want to know from you is um, through your life, have, what has been your greatest um, challenge or um, adversity that gave you a life lesson or a change of Uh, Direction, um, because not you know. I I think a lot of people think that successful people kind of go through life and things just come to them, but I have found that some of the most successful people I know have had um, adverse experiences in their lives, and that those have been like the greatest. Oh my gosh!
2: Yeah. Uh, Oh, my gosh. You know, it's the valleys that mature you, not the mountaintops. So I'll I'll give you a a good one. I was giving a speech at MIT, and I picked up a Wall Street drill, and it had a study on how to become financially independent in America. And it said, be a doctor, a lawyer, inherit it or marry it. And I went, oh, the first four out. And number five was start a business. I went, oh, how hard could it be? And, you know, dumb me, I did a franchise restaurant and almost went bankrupt. I mean, I was so depressed and terrified I could barely crawl out of bed. And, uh, but I went to a bankruptcy attorney just shaking. I was so scared with my financials. And I showed him to him and he said to me, well, you're not even close. And I said, but I'm broke. And another friend said to me, Judy, they can break you, but they can't eat you. And I kind of kicked fear to the curb and said, I am going to figure this out. And I figured it out and sold it. That prepared me to be the CEO of a public company, raised $8 million, you know, had another serious brick to the head. But every one of those puts steel up your spine. And so, you know, I take them as, what is the lesson to be learned here? And if you think back in your life, where would you be if these bad things hadn't have happened? You wouldn't be so far ahead No, I mean absolutely. truly and so you know I just I recently learned that in Hebrew there's two words for fear and I'm probably saying I'm wrong but one of them is pahad which is you know you're terrified panicked you're running around tiny penny the sky is falling this is me when I go to my cave with dark chocolate <laughs> but the other one is when you're stepping into your greatness I mean it's when you're getting out of your, your yeah. comfort zone You know, but you still got the fear. If I would have known that. I mean, you know, I'm 61, and I look back now and I think, oh, my gosh, if I would have just kicked fear to the curb and realized, like that attorney said to me, few things can kill you. Few things can kill you. and, And moved forward. And so now I really tell people to embrace fear and, you know, step out you know just step out even little little steps
1: I tell all my patients that adversity is our greatest spiritual teacher. You know, it's our, it's the yeah. uh, journey, it's our, the journeys that our souls take that truly mold who you are and shape everything. And, um, what's really beautiful is, uh, knowing that, uh, you know, through all those adversities, some greatness comes. And, uh, yeah. we also, I also have learned that there are, there are times in our, um, lives that there are individuals that just play a huge, a huge role in you becoming who you are. Um, so who in your life was the person or persons that gave you um, kind of a, a great amount of influence?
2: Oh, my gosh. There's been so many of them over the years. But recently, uh, my close friend, Dr. Ann Osborne, she's the author of Osborne's Brain. You may have had it in medical school. She's considered okay. one of the top neuroradiologists in the world. Uh, She's in her 70s. She still travels the world and lectures. Um, Wow. I just helped her. Um, She just sold her her company, had the largest databases of scans on the planet. And I am just kind of in awe that I watched this, this woman. Um, who has, you know, still chooses to get on the plane to go teach to make a difference, even if it's going to Kuwait with bodyguards, um, you know, to teach, and you know, still writing books and healthy as as can be. Um, so she's been, even though she's a widow. I mean, she's had some really, really tough things. So she's someone that has been. Um, she's kind of one of those that teaches you why not. You know, why not? doesn't matter what age. Why not? Keep getting out there and, and going. And um, so I've, I've had terrific teachers. I mean, I've been blessed with that through my life. And and, and I'd like to tell uh, particularly the women out there that, you know, we're not so good at asking. Um, I think I mentioned research shows if you've been raised lower to middle class, you're taught not to ask. And that was a hard one for me to learn. But you need to ask because people like me love to help and most people will help and so you know you need to learn to add value to other people because everybody has got problems and it's pretty simple you can make an introduction share a trend Uh, already talking with you I've thought of three or four people I need to introduce you to I love it You know, that, that, that adding value. Um, I mean, it is amazing what you do if you just start interacting, make a few introductions, reach out to a stranger. Uh, Um, you know, this is how I know billionaires. And, um, and, and it's exciting because I can make things happen for other people, which I love to do. I
1: met a beautiful
0: 82
1: year old. I met a beautiful 82 year old woman when I was, uh, coming back from a talk that I was giving and she was a class act. I mean, beautiful, well put together, and she's teaching computer science skills. And I loved it. And She had raised her kids and we started talking. Her daughter had had breast cancer, so I ended up sending her my book and it was. she was very, very lovely. She lives in Texas. And she invited me to come to her house when I'm in Texas. But, you know, when I sat next to her in the airplane, I was just so enamored with this woman who I said, God, I want to grow up and be her. I want to be 82 years old, getting on a plane, by myself. Self, flying someplace to teach somebody, you know, less than half my age, a skill that I think is difficult for my parents in their 80s, you know, to be able to, to manage. And so I was, it's like, what a beautiful soul and what a great gift she's giving to the world. And, you know, she's been a great role model for her kids, too, because she waited till later in life to find a career because she had raised her children. So, absolutely awesome. Wow. Yeah, and
2: and so, you know, age isn't a barrier. Being a woman isn't a barrier. I mean, I tell people all the time, the money, everything is out there. And, you know, most people don't realize it, but it's already in the network they have. I I mean, truly. Uh, Every week somebody will talk to me about a profound problem and, you know, through my knowledge of their network, figure out the answers there. Um, You know, I, I moved back to take care of my mom before she passed away in May. And I thought, you know, here I am in this town of 600 people. There's no deals to do here. I love to do deals. Well, the mayor stopped in one day and said, Judy, do you remember my younger sister from high school? And, and I didn't. She was a lot younger than I was. And he said, she's invented this really nifty mascara brush, and it go, it's it got two wands, and it looks like, you know, scissors if you're playing scissors, rock, stone. And you can have one a different color, one with, you know, sparkles on it. And I went, and, and I met her just, just to be grateful races, actually. And when I looked at it, I got goosebumps. I knew this woman was going to make millions. And she'd done everything right. She had her IP. She had money from friends and family. Everything was documented. What she didn't have was a go-to-market strategy and figuring out, you know, manufacturing and that kind of stuff. Well, she brought her mentor to meet me. And this guy, I really hit it off with him, an older gentleman. And he said to me, what are you doing, December 21st? And I said, oh, I'm in town. And he said, would you like to come to a private Christmas party? And I said, sure. And he said, well, I'm the business manager of Larry King and his wife, Sean. And so I go to this private event, and there's a dude walking around. He's got hair curly down to his shoulders, very well-dressed, but he clearly looks like a New Yorker. And uh, I went up, and I said, you know, how are you doing? What you doing here? And he said, oh, I'm Sean's makeup guru from L'Oreal. Um, I do everything <laughs> for her. And I said, well, you must know her best friend has invented this mascara brush, and his mouth Drop and you said no, but I've taken two mascara products to multi-billion in sales. It was the one
1: best friend's makeup guy. I you love know? it. Well, Judy, right now we're going to take a break, and when we come back from okay. the break, um, actually Sue has called in from uh, somewhere okay. in Washington D.C. I hope she's driving safely. So after the break, we'll welcome Sue back in on Women to Watch. Mm-hmm. Welcome back to this week's broadcast of Women to Watch on WWDB 860 AM Philadelphia. It's November 2nd, and I am on the air with Judy Robinette, author of How to Be a Power Connector, and my fabulous real host of this show, Women to Watch. Sue Rocco is, has just joined us, and I think she's someplace in between D.C. and Philly, or she's still in D.C., but hey, Sue, welcome to the show.
0: Hi, ladies. How are you? We are We're good. Great. How are you? How good to hear your voice. Good. it's so great I have to tell you I've been listening to the whole show I am driving um, don't worry I'm on my Bluetooth and <laughs> I was listening on listening on the tunein radio app which in not clear yeah so um, I just went through Baltimore and um, getting close to uh, to Delaware I guess. But love so Sue, listening to the show.
1: Yeah. Sue, have have you? Did you meet anybody? Like, did you make any connections
0: in well, Washington of D.C.? Of, well, good. of course, I did. And Judy's gonna love this because you know she's all about um, making sure when you're out and about in the world that you're talking to people, telling them what you do and asking them what they do. So um, it was a great event. By the way, it was the um, Council for Women and Girls um, that. They had a briefing, so they brought in people from each level of the government who all have representatives on the council, and they were talking about women's issues in all areas, health and economics and business and entrepreneurship, and Valerie Jarrett opened the briefing, and she, of course, is the senior advisor to the president, and so at the end of the um, of the meeting, I walked right up to her right hand gal and I said listen I'd love to have Valerie on the show and she said we would love to and we exchanged cards and, and it was great so that's how you make it good, it. Job. good job good job Sue Rocco love you how for you that how do I got Judy Robinette on the show I don't know you <laughs> probably walked up to her
1: and said hey Judy my name's Sue Rocco and I'd love for you to be on my show
0: right <laughs> right <laughs> but it is, it's always ironic, you know, I sat next to a young lady in my Uber on the way over to the White House, we had a brief chat, and we're going to follow up, um, and then of course I met a lot of wonderful women at the event, and everybody was there for, you know, from different organizations, different companies, but all there because they want to help women, you know, move forward in business and in life, and then, you know, were with nonprofits. Some lots of entrepreneurs, which I love to see, lots of women starting their own businesses. Perfect, great, and uh, and
1: that's critical. I was just about to ask Judy about her. I love, I love your network is your net worth, and I it's like that. I couldn't have said it better myself because it is the it's the network that you surround yourself with that is there to help you to achieve whatever your goals are and uh, did you coin that was that like your is that did you have that trademarked or anything
2: no, I don't. I'm, my next book will be net worthing, though. So, um, know, after speaking in London all over the world, I can really see how important it is to up the level to the next level. And that's actually research. Research has been done repeatedly showing your net worth equals your net worth. And you've probably heard people like Jack Canfield say, if you look at the five people you run around with and average their salary, you probably make what they make. And, and it's amazing, the, the difference. And, and, you know, as you move into these different spheres of, of influence, it, it does change you, and it changes you for the better. It opens up different worlds for you you would have never known existed.
1: I love it. And I, the, I, I don't know if you know anything about the health system where I work, but our health system, Holy Redeemer, has really tried to promote... Um, the patient experience and one of the things that we are doing is it's called my life story which is really learning the story of your patients and for a lot of different reasons number one you know you remember things about people when you have a story in your brain because otherwise that's that is how our brains are wired to remember and so when yeah. when you when you in here you know tell your story and talk to strangers those are the things that i think in healthcare, really need to come back to healthcare, and you've done enough healthcare stuff that, you know, with um, with the current state of affairs in healthcare, when the nurses become the people that give you their pill, your pills, and only um, have a kind of a brush by approach to the patient experience, the patients don't get that heart connection. You get that heart connection by telling your story.
2: Yeah, and nurses, you know, are the healing component. And uh, when I was vice president of a hospital, we uh, put in a, a new system, and, and it was based on all aspects. So before someone went into surgery, you would sit down as an intake. You would find out, you know, about the religion, spiritual experiences, what they loved. And, and we would let pets, well, we let a farmer bring in a baby lamb before he went to surgery. And it was amazing to see the difference between the interactions between the staff. Uh, because they um. knew that as, as a human being, not just a case number. Uh, and we also learned some fascinating stuff. Like, you know, we had uh, my friend who was a, a county commissioner asked me to go through the process with her. She needed to have breast tissue removed. They thought it might be cancer, weren't sure, and so I went with her. And they had her come in at 5 a.m. And I, I later said, why did we come in at 5 a.m.? Well, because we know the doctor's going to be late. Well, why is the doctor late? Well, the doctor's late because the lab results are late. Well, why are the lab results late? And, and we found out... Some really interesting stuff, but I will never forget watching them do surgery on her. I stayed outside the, the window, um, and I went into the the, uh, the recovery room, and she looked at me, tears coming down her eyes, and she just she kept saying, and I couldn't understand her, and she I finally could see she was saying cancer, cancer, and and I said uh-huh. no. And now um, she doesn't even remember that now, but, but it is, I think, those healing touches, little things, the story, um, you know, recently my mom died and, um, she was 91, had a great life. I made sure she stayed at home and I got a hospice nurse who was just amazing as far as the comfort and making, you know, I wanted my mother to be out of pain, so we had the liquid morphine, all that kind of stuff. But, um, I, I think you're right. And and, and kudos to your hospital and for doing that because, you know, I hate going into hospitals now. And the nurse walks in, wouldn't even give my mother a pain pill. She had to put it in the computer. And I'm like, really? Give her the pill. She's in pain. Before you write, nope, we can't do that. It's not policy.
1: I'm like, I'm saying mm, we're tra- does it say you- We're trying... We're trying to put the care back into health care because, you know, we go into medicine as a, as a healing profession. And uh, I heard mm-hmm. a woman, uh, Jean Watson, speak this, last week at my integrative medicine conference. And this nurse, she was, she's just absolutely amazing and has such beautiful energy. And uh, they do a, they do a um, certification for hospitals called Caritas, which instead mm-hmm. of being, uh, you know, instead of getting some award for whatever, it's an award for being an institution of caring. Who wouldn't want to go to a hospital that gets an award for being a caring institution? I mean, that to me is like it's priceless because to go someplace when you're when you're ill and you're not feeling cared for, um, it's isolating. It's it's you feel as though you're you know, you're not connected to other people. And I I love the fact that we're kind of moving back there when I mean, healthcare really needs it. We really need to get back to a place where we are once again, you know, a haven for healing and not just you know, the place for the pill for the ill and the surgery and the intervention. And it sounds like with your mom, with her transition, that you were given the opportunity to create um, a transition for her that was honoring. And uh, it was not just for her, but for you as well. Because when you lived into your 90s, um, you know, people want to die with dignity. Nobody wants to die in a hospital on a ventilator or, you know, in a situation where you feel out of control yeah and and I have
2: an aunt that lived to be hundred nine, so I'm probably uh, i i'm gonna uh, wow. i be wanting the same thing all of us all of us do I mean we all at our core want to be cared about and um so so that's great
0: and you know it's you the know same so thing with chatting. about. uh, What's so great about that, Judy, is that she's not just doing these practices in in Holy Redeemer, but she's traveling all around the world and teaching other hospitals and physicians about it, how they can do it and still be practicing medicine and, you know, staying true to their, um, you know, to the science. Yeah.
2: Well, that is wonderful.
0: I'll I'll introduce you
2: to Dr. Ann Osborne and also to Dr. Mary Grota-Lewis, the movie um, Love Mary
0: is about her. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. That's so. A, just... Ladies, I'm going to jump off and let you continue um, the rest of the show because I look Please like I'm be hitting safe. coming on some traffic. And I want to be safe. Judy, yeah, you thanks got to so be much safe, so... on. And thanks, Seth. We'll talk to you
1: soon. Talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, Sue. Okay, so, Judy, here's the deal. I have um, the wonderful honor of being a mentor to Fabulous young women. Some, some of them in the financial industry, um, some of them in healthcare, some of them just in college because they're my kids' friends. And you know, to to be able to give, um, like, let's say I was having you over for dinner at my house, and I've got. Four or five of these young women sitting around the table, we're having dinner, and uh, they're all talking about, you know, becoming successful in their lives. So let's say you had a chance to talk to these 20-something-year-olds and give them the, all right, here's, here's the Judy Robinette um, kind of a path or, a, or a, a, a path for success, like things that you need to pay attention to and do, like the three must-dos, like what would you tell them?
2: You know, the the one I would say is, um, listen to your heart. I mean, it's a famous quote by Debbie Reynolds when she asked a producer, should I stay in theater, movies, or TV? And he said, listen to your heart. The answer will be perfect. You know, at the end of the day, uh, it's your life, and and you, you have to be happy in your heart and in your soul. Uh, the second one would certainly be, be kick fear to the curb. Uh, you have to really question the assumptions about yourself and, and realize that, you know, fear is when your prefrontal cortex shuts down. You're, you're not doing great thinking. <laughs> And a few things will will tell you that would be the second uh, the third would be make sure that you use your your network, even friends uh, for intelligence so you know one of the the best things is other people help you get better reality and they help you see blind spots, and we all have blind spots and You know, an example of when I was in graduate school, I thought I was dumb. So I volunteered to, you know, run committees and classes, and I was only a handful of women in the entire program of 300. And the dean called me in one day, and he said, Judy, you know, the guys don't want to be in your your, uh, groups anymore. And I said, what? And he said, they said, you're too aggressive. And I literally walked over to his desk, took my fist, and went, I am not aggressive. Who said that? And, of course, I cried all the way home. And later he said, you know, you're like a bull in a china closet. You need to, like, pay attention to people's feelings. And I said to him, Who cares about feelings? We've got to do work here. And and I hadn't realized that I was so scared of of flunking, not getting good grades, which was, I mean, I had the highest GPA of anybody there. But internally, I didn't have the confidence and the self-worth. And I didn't see how other people were seeing me. I mean, it was the same thing of thinking I was shy for 20 years. And so, you know, I would suggest to these young women to ask three to five of their friends what the top three best things are about them and to pay attention because other people will see things that you don't, which helps you over your blind spots. And then finally, I would tell everybody, have your daughters or granddaughters uh, do this. Take out a piece of paper, write at the top victory log, number from 1 to 50, and just start writing down things you're proud you've accomplished, little things like, you know, I got a D in geometry, but still graduated. Um, I wrote down when I made 30000 a year, and I wrote down when I made 350000 a year. I wrote down when I met my first millionaire and when I met my first billionaire. Uh, and it's staggering to review the list and see because I would have never guessed in 100 years I would be going around the world speaking that I would have written a book, and this is the number one way to build self-esteem. Because women, for some reason, you know, we're like wired to keep going over and over our problems and mistakes. And we keep our head over our back shoulder. They think it's because we're making sure the tiger isn't coming after our children. But it's important to
1: manage
2: your emotional health as well as your physical, And, and those things will help you.
1: So what do you do to manage your emotional health? It was just what I was going to ask you. Do you do yoga? Do you meditate? What do you do? You know, I
0: I
2: certainly uh, meditate. I do a lot of hiking. Um, I'm in the mountains. I'm less than four hours from Yellowstone. I I mean, it's like you could touch the face of God uh, to be up there in those mountains and see grizzly bears and the wolf pack and... and, uh, um, I'm a voracious reader. I play guitar, piano. Um, you know, I do fun things like um, drive helicopters and, and uh, <laughs> love to ride horses. So I try to get in nature. Wow. That's a big one. Um, you know, do we eat dark chocolate when I'm stressed? Um, so <laughs> some, of, some of those things are important to me.
1: The advice of managing your emotional health is huge, and you know, our uh, my favorite Haitian saying when I go on medical missions there is, "Our health is our greatest of wealth," and people don't realize that health is not just the health of the physical body; it's the health of the emotional body and of the spiritual body, and. Uh, there are studies that clearly show that you know walking in nature in and of itself increases your immunity and so I I jokingly say that every year and I do do it I I go to Sedona and I, I say I'm plugging in my I plug myself into the Red rocks to be able to be recharge my spiritual batteries so I can go back and do another year's worth of you know my soul's work of creating this bridge between eastern and western medicine but it truly is my emotional and spiritual health that get recharged when i'm in nature i was hiking last week in san diego and there was there was nothing like being at the top of the mountain looking out and seeing the 360 and everything's below you it's just absolutely amazing
2: and the more you can create awe in your life, they've also proven yeah. it improves your mental well-being. You know, go I go out every night and look at the stars.
1: Oh yeah, uh, I mean just
2: little things like that. I planted tulip bulbs yesterday because I know in the spring they'll be beautiful. So I I really, uh, you know, do some quiet kind of things like gardening. Um, and then I just I love to teach and. uh And, and you know, it really is so critical that you share with people your story and and your goals and where you're going, and then you ask, what other ideas do you have for me, and who else do you know I should uh, talk to? And, you know, I've started practicing just little parts of that more so as I've started teaching. And a young man that's a minister in D.C. called me one day, sent an email, said, Oh, I read your book. It changed my life. How may I help you? (laughs) That's one of my other questions. How may I help you? What other ideas do you have? Who else should I meet? So I'm on the phone with him, and he said, Well, what are your goals? And I thought, Oh, what the heck? And I said, You know, someday I'd love to meet Oprah. And he said, "Oh, well, that one's easy. My best friends are executive producer. There now, if know. I had not said to him that this is one of the things I'm planning to do, I wouldn't have got that connection. And I'm flying down there next month. Okay. And could I have guessed or planned that or worked hard at that? Um, so synchronicity is, and luck is created by you being vulnerable and open."
1: Have you um, have you read um, Paulo Coelho's? um, Oh, now the name just jumped out of my head. Um, It's uh, I'll think of the book in a second. It was required reading for my kids. But um, in there, my favorite quote was, you know, when you follow your heart's passion, uh, the universe conspires in your favor. And the book is The Alchemist. You know, it's a great little read, but it's. But it is is—it is a, um, my, my son, when he was in seventh grade, needed to do a book report. And I had read The Alchemist. It was given to me by the CEO of 7-Eleven when I, I met him at dinner at a at a breast cancer conference in Miami. And this guy said, this book is required reading for all of my senior executives. So I, I read it, and it was like, you know, 70-some pages. But it's the parable of a shepherd. But the stories in it, the life stories, were so profound and so amazing. And so when I had my son read it, Um, because he had to do his book report he came out of his room a couple hours later he's like mom it's the best book i've ever read he goes i want to buy this for my teachers and you know i said well what what did you get from it and he said well he goes it's really about you know when you're you have to be passionate about what you do and when you are all these things conspire in the universe to come in front of you but you've got to be awake enough to pay attention to them being there
2: yeah that's what a lot and and you have have to to talk to people you have to talk to people, tell them what direction you're, you're going. I mean, it's stunning to me. Every once in a while, someone will call, and they need something that I can't think of, obviously, in my network. I'll send an email out to 10 people every time I get an answer. It's never from the person I guess, never.
1: Yeah, yeah, and uh, I, I also love when, when you say if you're not currently succeeding, you are in the wrong room. So that's a, that's a pretty big one. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, it, it uh, hurts
2: my heart. You know, I meet entrepreneurs from all over the world, and they are frantically, you know, trying to get funded, and most of the time in the wrong room. Uh, Dr. Annette McClellan, I was introduced to in Park City, she tried to find funding for a medical device for eight years. I, I could see it was brilliant. It came as an RFP from um, China. It's a permanent contraceptive, and you I'm sure you're very well aware of the problems with the sure, uh, now. Yeah and Brockovich is going to be all over them soon. And um, she was in the wrong room. I mean, she was in Utah. I said, you know, you're a woman and you're not Mormon. Um, and I can say that because I've got Mormon roots, but I got her to San Francisco and I got her to Boston and um, got her $500,000. And within a few years, her company sold the millions to Boston Scientific. Uh-huh. And so often it is who's in the right room. So if you keep going to the same events... Um, and there's not people smarter than you or have access that can help you, you're in the wrong room. Um, And I tell people, you know, search out some of these powerful organizations. So, you know, you can meet people one-on-one, but if you go to a group, there's a chance you can meet 15 people that same day. Really, your trajectory is going up. Um, I tell women to look at Alley to the Valley, a private curated group of fifty professionals. It's how I became friends with Rosie Rios, the United States treasurer. Uh, uh, Heidi Rose and the partner at, at Draper, V.C. It's where I met Leslie Jane of Moore Magazine. Um, and uh, then there's strange little things I found out. Like if you live outside of New York, you can pay $800 a year and join most of the private clubs, like the Harvard Club or the Yale Club, and use their hotels. Well, the last time I did that, I ran into Timothy Geithner in the lobby. <laughs> um, so you, you know, there's, um, and if people are in business, I would tell them to go to Associated or the the Association of Corporate Growth. It's been around since the 1950s. They're globally. They have CXO level people across all different industries. They have a great lunch, a speaker, and they introduce new people. And they understand helping each other. But there's all of these groups out there that most people haven't heard of. That, you know, you, you need to look at because joining the powerful organization. I mean, I even joined United Ways Board. I volunteered to be on the finance committee because I needed to learn how to do higher level budgets. Um, I volunteered in Salt Lake to be on the finance committee for a governor's race before I met my first three billionaires out of Park City. And so you think about where are the people hanging out that you need? And for people looking for investors, 90% of high-potential startups are funded by angels. VCs only fund 2%. And there's angel groups in every single state. You can look up the National Angel Association. You can find out the angel groups online. Um, And if people need help, you know, they certainly can... I'm a big
1: believer in angels. I'm a big believer in angels for many different realms of our lives. And, uh, angel funding is certainly something that when it comes along for, um, companies, it's the, uh, it can, it can make, it can make the difference. And Judy, believe it or not, we are actually at the end of the show. It has been one hour, and I could probably talk to you for about 20. And I hope to meet you Ah. in real life person. Um, so I, I just want you to tell everybody your website, how they can contact you, which books you want them to read in the last minute.
2: Okay, so you can find me on Twitter at Judy Robinette. I'm on LinkedIn. There's no E on the end of Robinette. My website's just judyrobinette.com, and my email's judy at judyrobinette.com. And, uh, you know, I I think people would enjoy my book, but a couple of others that have really sparked my interest is Triggers by Marshall Goldstein that is pretty profound in helping you get to your goals by just asking every day. Uh, What what can I, have I done my best to achieve this goal? And then another one is Resilience by Eric Breton, that came out of the Navy SEALs. He's also an Oxford
1: uh, brat. Judy, thank you so much for being a Women to Watch. And this is the end of the show for today. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.